me that uh, I decided, felt led to preach about because of just some things that I'm facing in life. So uh, that's where it comes from. It may not touch you, but I believe the Holy Spirit can move and can apply apply it to your heart. Um, the subject is on prayer, the subject of prayer. I'd like to look at the purpose of prayer, the power of prayer, and perseverance in prayer. Purpose, power, and perseverance. And as I studied this subject, um, it's one of those things that I have, I realize I have neglected very badly in my life. Not that I've neglected to pray, but to study and understand what prayer is, what it means in the life of a Christian. And I get this feeling as I, as I was studying it and even as I share with you what I've learned, that in, as I continue to grow and continue to understand what prayer is in a year or six months or two years, I'm going to look back and say, why did I even bother? Because there's so much more that can be learned about prayer. So I ask you to uh, bear with me this morning as I look at this subject. Beginning with the purpose of prayer. Prayer comes from our recognition of our need for God. When we realize that we need God. That's where prayer comes from. And we come to God in prayer. You all, probably you all prayed today. Martin Luther said something along these lines, I am so busy that I can't imagine going through a day without at least three hours of prayer. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many of you on a regular basis spend three hours in prayer. If I would ask you how many of you would do it, it would do you good Every hand better go up. We don't... I'm going to speak for all of us. We don't spend enough time in prayer. We say that, that we need the presence of God in our life and we need the power of God in our life and we just don't know how we can make it. And yet somehow we do on five minutes or 15 minutes or however long you spend. We need help in the amount of time we spend in prayer. But we pray for our physical needs the physical needs of other people. We pray for spiritual needs, for ourselves, for other people. We bring our thanksgiving and our praise to God. We even bring confession and repentance to God. And as you think of, of our Wednesday evening prayer meetings or your, your prayer in your personal devotional life, what does that all contain? And I probably captured most of it in what I said here. How much of your time spent in prayer is focused on hearing from God? I forget who it was said, the best part of my prayer life is the 15 minutes I spend after I say amen. Waiting to hear from God. What He speaks into your heart or into your life. It's been said that prayer is a pious exercise with no influence except upon the mind of those engaged in it. True or false? Prayer is a pious exercise which has no influence except upon the mind of those engaged in it. 
we know that this is not true. I know this is not true from experience. Psalm 65 verse 2 says, O thou that hearest prayer, unto unto thee shall all flesh come. So prayer is me speaking to God and hopefully God speaking to me. We can and we need to pray privately. We pray publicly. As a young younger person, that always it was interesting to me to know what what do you do in a like a, a prayer group when you meet together with a group of other people and only one of you is praying. What do the rest of what are the rest of you supposed to be doing during that time? You've got six people, eight people in the group. One is praying. You sit still with your eyes closed, but do you pray as well? Or do you, what, what is that? What do you do? And I concluded, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, um, it doesn't really matter. As long as you are connected with God, giving blessing and assent to the one that's praying, or maybe praying uh, silently yourself as we listen. But praying uh, publicly is a, important part of prayer as well. We see in the Bible there are conditions for our prayer. And you shouldn't analyze people's prayer. But there was a prayer made this morning, a public prayer made this morning, that nailed those two conditions at the end. We pray in the name of Jesus according to his will. I don't know if you caught that or not. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name according to your will. Those two things are the conditions that need to be in our prayer. We pray to God in the name of Jesus. And we pray according to the will of God. Proverbs 15.8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. God loves to hear the prayer of the upright. The Bible explains things that hinder our prayers. It's possible to pray without your prayer making it past the roof. And some of those things, well, summing it up, I would say it's anything that we knowingly are harboring in our life that goes against the nature of God. If we have anything in our life that we are knowingly, that we knowingly have there that goes against the nature of God, that will make it so your prayer goes nowhere. And there's a, there's a list in the Bible that says if you have this, your prayers won't work. If you have this, God won't hear you. And it's things like secret sin, indifference, neglecting mercy, despising the law, iniquity, stubbornness, instability, self-indulgence. The Bible tells us that prayer is a very important part of the life of a Christian. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Again, this was an interesting verse to me as a child. How many of, and we would ask each other, how many, do you pray without ceasing? Well, yeah, I cease. I stop praying. I, I live life too. That's not what pray without ceasing is. Prayer is a conscious communication with God, but prayer is also an attitude or a way of life. And George Washington Carver summed it up like this, and I think he captures the essence of what pray without ceasing means he says my prayers seem to be more of an attitude than anything else i indulge in no lip service but ask 
the great God silently, daily, and often many times a day to permit me to speak to him. I ask him to give me wisdom, understanding and bodily strength to do his will. Hence, I am asking and receiving all the time. And I think that's what pray without ceasing means. But I don't believe I've answered the question of the purpose. What is the purpose of prayer? Why do we pray? I could probably come up with some flowery explanation. But the answer is because we need it. That is why we pray. When we pray, we are coming before the throne of Almighty God, the Creator, the Sovereign Creator of everything. We are coming to Him because He cares about each one of us. He cares about our heart. He cares about our lives. And that's what our prayer is. We need it. Hebrews 4 tells us we have the privilege of coming boldly before the throne. And I think if I understood this better, and if I remembered this, who I'm coming before and what he is capable of doing, I think it would change the tone and the content maybe even of my prayers. Realize who we're coming before, what he is capable of doing, what he will do if we ask. Edward Wesling gave this little story. He said, four men went into a chapel to pray. The first stood and prayed thus with himself. I don't know what I'm doing here because after all, didn't Jesus say that God knows our need even before we ask? Why should I pray? To me, prayer seems unnecessary. The second man stood thus and prayed with himself. This is a world governed by immutable laws. How dare I approach God and ask him to change any of those regulations of the universe just to suit my will? To me, prayer seems illogical. The third man stood and prayed thus with himself. It strikes me as being emotionally and mentally dangerous to run to God with my troubles. I ought to be man enough to solve them myself. I think that the prayer, I think that prayer is unhealthy and immature. The fourth man smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and change me. Jesus gave us a reason for prayer in John 14, verse 13. He says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The reason is that the Father may be glorified. So, as you pray, and as you ask God for things, as you seek Him, is that your goal? That the Father will be glorified. How is God glorified by our prayers? There's many more reasons, but a few that I wrote down here is God is glorified by drawing attention to His name. When He answers a prayer, is attention drawn to His name? By receiving our praise and our gratitude. And God is glorified by us gaining a deeper understanding of Him and then applying that to our life through our actions and our reactions. And that, that does come through prayer. Through God speaking into us and the Holy Spirit touching something in your life and saying, that's not how it should be. You need to change that. God is glorified in that. Turn with me to John 15, verse 7.
John 15, verse 7 says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. As a believer, or as you, as a Christian, allows the Spirit to teach him what is in the Word, you will then grow in your prayer life. The Word, the Bible, study, and your prayer life are closely connected. If you abide in me, Jesus is saying, and my words abide in you. So in other words, if you have your, your Bible study right in your life, your prayer life will be affected. They're so closely connected. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So, that makes it sound like I have a neighbor that needs the Lord. God, please help my neighbor to find you. It shall be done unto you. I want the weather to be nice. Just like that, the weather will be nice. I want whatever and it will happen. It shall be done unto you. If we're thinking this way, I think we're only looking at the last part of the verse and ignoring the first part where it says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, then this will happen. And now you're thinking, well, I do. I do abide in God. His word does abide in me. And it still doesn't happen. If You're still missing the point if that's the way you're thinking. Because when we abide in the Word of God and God's Word abides in us, it will change the way we even ask for things. Our will will become agreeable with God's will and we'll be asking for different things and so it will be done unto us. Maybe not in the timing we have in mind, but it will happen. So I think we ask amiss because maybe we're not abiding as closely as we should be in Christ or having Him abide in us. When He does and when we do abide in His Word, it'll change the way we've, we pray, change the way we think. And then this promise is true. The power of prayer does not mean it will instantly, that mountains will be instantly moved each time we ask. So I was thinking of this, my mind was drawn to the verse in Matthew 17:20. You can turn there if you like, but I think you know the verse. Matthew 17:20 and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, or they I'm sorry, a little background. Jesus had just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and there was a boy with a possessed of a demon, and his parents had come to the disciples that were left at the bottom of the mountain and they had said, "Please cast this these demons out of our son." And they couldn't. And Jesus came down and he did it. And then he said, the disciples said, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. I struggle with these verses. There are several verses like that that says if you have Faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say, he's using the example of a mountain being moved. You can do huge things and it will happen. And so in my childish understanding of prayer, I think, well, I do have faith. And if I ask the carpet to turn green, it didn't. Do I not have faith or what is the problem here? 
it's probably not according to his will. I'm probably asking amiss. So there's things like that that weigh in here as well. But to understand the mountain and the mustard seed. The mustard seed is not the smallest. That's not what he's talking about, is that, that it's not the smallest seed. It is the smallest seed that will grow into a tree, but it's not the smallest seed ever. I have not witnessed this personally, but I've been told if you drive on the roads in Israel where Jesus drew this illustration from, you will see mustard plants or trees or bushes or whatever they are growing all over the place because it is, it's a weed and it's a very tenacious weed. And it's so tough that it will grow in this harsh climate where it's in and it will even grow and you'll see boulders and rocks kind of tipped off to the side. That's how strong this, this mustard plant or mustard seed is. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Not the quantity of our faith, not how much we have, but the quality of our faith. If you have this tenacious faith that you believe God, you believe he will do this, then it will be done. But again, it comes back to the thing of his word abiding in us. And therefore, it will even change the way, change what we ask for. You won't ask for silly things like the carpet to turn green. It, it'll change what we ask for in our prayer. And if we have that simple, tenacious faith, we will be rewarded. The other thing is recognizing what the mountain is. When I pray for this mountain to be removed, whatever the mountain is in your life, and you may think it's a, maybe a physical sickness or a problem that you are facing is the mountain. That's what you think the mountain is. But is that what the mountain is? Or is the mountain your willingness to accept it? Because that can be a mountain as well. Recognize what the mountain is. A simple faith that God is able not necessarily a faith that I have to know the details of how all it's going to happen. Because if we do feel that we have to have the faith to know exactly how God is going to work this out, then our faith isn't in God and His ability. It's in our own creativity or our imagination. We need to have the faith that God can solve the problem and it's up to Him to do it and I will accept how He does it. That is the faith as a mustard seed. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. That is where we are at our greatest. When we are on our knees coming face to face with God. So again, I'm speaking for myself and probably some of you as well. I don't see the power of prayer as I should or as I could in life. And I've probably used this illustration before, but what would you think of a man who had a million dollars in the bank and he drew a penny a day? We think, well, that's nonsense. He's got a million dollars in the bank. Why is he drawing a penny a day? And that is how many times I view prayer. And here's why I think I view it this way. We believe, if I would ask you, how many of you believe in the power of prayer? 
your hands would go up. We believe in the power of prayer. But we don't ask for it. And there's several reasons why we don't ask for it like we should. And the first one I don't like at all, but it's where I'm at. And it's because we have trouble explaining when it doesn't happen. When we ask God for something and he doesn't answer the way we think. We're, we're too narrow-minded or something. And so we don't even ask because then we don't have to work through that problem when God doesn't answer the way we should, the way we think he should. Or we don't ask because we're afraid it will happen and what all that might mean. The other reason I don't think we ask is we're self-sufficient. We can solve the problem on our own. We've got the money to solve the problem. We've got the resources. We've got things that we can solve the problem on our own. John 15:7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Sometimes I've asked and it was not done and then I wonder why. Was I lacking the abiding? Because I lack the abiding part, I'm praying for the wrong things. I might pray for God to fix this problem that I find myself in. How many of you have found yourself in a problem before that you need God to help you fix? You have found yourself in a problem you need God to help you fix. So I pray that God would get me out of this problem. <clears throat> you have prayed that. I have prayed that, that God would get me out of this problem. And I wonder if rather we should be asking for God to help me get through this problem. That he would teach us what we have, what he would have us to learn while we're in the problem. Do you see the difference between asking to be removed from the problem or helping get through it? Turn with me to Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 5, we find a parable or a story that Jesus told here. I'm moving from the power of prayer now to the persistence in prayer. Luke 11, verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is on his journey to come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, for the door is now shut, and my children are in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of the importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So this man came to his neighbor and said, I've got company for the night. I've got nothing to give them. Can you please give me some food? And he says, no, I'm in bed. I'm busy. And he, he stayed at him and he said, no, I need it. I need it. And finally, not because he was a friend, but because he was annoyed, he got up and he gave him what he needed. Verse 9, And I say unto you, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will you give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, 
Will ye offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Why did the first man keep knocking at his friend's door? Why did he keep badgering him with, please give me this food? The answer is found in verse 6. The last part of verse 6. I have nothing to set before him. That is why his friend was persistent. He had nothing. O. Hallisby said this, Prayer is the utterance of the helpless, and until we are helpless, our prayers will not get beyond the roof. So persistence in prayer comes from realizing that we have nothing. One of the problems with our persisting in prayer is this. And this again is being brutally honest with where I've found myself. Since we're not sure that God will grant our petition or our prayer, our prayers consist of asking and hoping. And many times we have a plan B in the back of our mind because we're not sure if God will answer our prayer. For example, if you're planning a a church picnic, which we've seemed to have a lot of this summer. Planning a church picnic. We wake up that morning and we say, Lord, we're going to have a church picnic today. We pray for nice weather. And then we pick a place that has a pavilion. Now, that's not wrong. I think that's fine. God's given us minds to think and plan. He's given us resources to use. That's fine. He still likes to hear from us. It's maybe like when our children come to you and they say, I would really like to do this, but if you have something else in mind, we'll go with that. That That's a fine prayer to God. I see some of you looking surprised as if your children would not come to you that way. But that's how we should go to God. Give Give Him your heart's desire. He wants to hear from you. Say, this is what I have in mind. But we do want him to be glorified in our prayer. So we say, if you have something else in mind that will glorify you more, that's what we'd like. This man in Luke 11 had no plan B. He had no fix for his problem. A visitor had come and he had nothing to offer him. It's in these times when we need to be persistent in our prayers. There's a difference, an attitude difference here though, between not having a possible solution. When we pray and we come to God and we say, I have no solution for this. You are God and I know you can fix it. There's a difference between not having a possible solution or not being willing to accept anything other than what we want. And I've heard people come to God in prayer that way as well. This is what I want and this is the only answer I'm going to take. That is not okay to go to God that way. We can bring Him our needs and we can bring Him our desires and our, our, our petitions, but it is not okay to demand things of God. Jesus was a perfect example of this. He came to, to the Father three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. He came three times and He said, this is what I want. I want this cup to pass from me 
but not my will, but yours be done. Three times, that's persistence. He came to God three times with that prayer. He said, this is what I want, but he didn't demand that God do it. He asked God, and he said, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 9 here in Luke 11. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. These words, these key words, ask, seek and knock, give the idea of continuing to do these things. Not a one-time asking, seeking and knocking, but continue, persevere in these things. And this, this parable, as well as I want to look really quickly at another one, are not showing a comparison between God and the friend who got as if God will finally say, all right, you're annoying me with your prayers. Here you go. That's not the way God looks at it. It's a contrast between a, fr- a friend or a holy God, a holy father who loves his children. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I love this promise because it, it shows that simple faith we need to have. You need to believe that God is and you need to believe that he can do it. That's all that's required. That is the faith as a mustard seed. To believe that God is and that he is able to do it. Not to worry ourselves with how he'll do it because it probably will be different than what you have in mind anyway. God says, believe in him and he will answer. might not be an immediate answer. It might not even be remotely close to what you think, but he will answer. Turn a few more pages to Luke chapter 18. There's another uh, short parable here that Jesus taught regarding being persistent in prayer. But as I read this one, again, remember, it's not comparing this parable to God. It's contrasting the parable with God. Luke 18, verse 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So the purpose of the parable is perseverance. Keep praying, keep praying for what you need. Saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually, continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? I'll stop reading there. If this unjust, wicked judge could deal justly with this persistent widow, how much more will God, our Heavenly Father who loves us, give us what is best for us? This woman was a stranger to the judge. We are God's children. This widow woman had no friend to help her to plead her cause. We have the Holy Spirit. This woman had an unjust judge. We have a loving Father. Jesus tells us, if she was treated justly because of her persistence by an unjust judge or a wicked man, how much more will God answer our requests? 
Prayer is a powerful gift. It's a privilege that we have to come before God, to hear what He has, to bring our petitions to Him according to His will in the name of Jesus. Paul Washer describes two types of prayer that we need to practice and I like the way he says it here. He says there's a boots on prayer. Praying with your boots on. And what that is, he describes it as intercessory prayer where we make a conscious, deliberate effort where we go into our closet and we close the door and we pray. We, f- we fight off distractions which are easily come when we pray. There's so many distractions that come. Our mind can so easily wander. But praying with our boots on is going and making a conscious, deliberate effort and praying for someone or some situation and praying hard. And it is hard work because you are fighting principalities and powers. You're fighting the devil himself in these prayers. He wants nothing to do with your intercessory prayers. He wants to block every one of them that is going to God. That is what he describes as praying with your boots on. Then he describes praying with your boots off. And that is when you come before God in the morning, in the peace and quiet, and you just talk to God. Just talk to God about anything. Just spending time with God. And I don't know if any of you, I trust you have, felt the presence of God. It just gives you shivers. Feeling the presence of God right with you. Um, it's a peace and a comfort like no, no other feeling. And you don't even have to be saying anything. You're just, you know, you feel God's presence is there as much as if someone was actually right there with you. And that is the, the peace where you come to God, maybe in the early morning, and it's not that, that violent, hard work, but it's that peaceful communication with God, just feeling His presence with you. So in closing, I'll leave you with a few things that I'm still struggling with in regards to prayer. Number one is, why does God not answer right away? I know of situations or of things where people have been praying for years and years and years and years for something to happen with seemingly no results. And many times that involves people. But why can God not come to us and just explain this is why I'm not this is why I'm I'm dealing this way with this situation. This is why this is happening. Can any of you relate to this? You know what I mean? There's times where you pray and pray and pray for something over and over for years. Why can't God answer? Why can't He tell us? And what I've concluded is perhaps He wants to teach you something in this perhaps he wants to teach someone else something and I mentioned that many times this involves other people you're praying for the salvation of someone or a situation that involves people God will not tamper with free will there's a song that says he won't compel us to go against our will he'll just make us willing to go He will work with people to make them willing, but He will not tamper with their free will. That takes time.
and this is the fourth reason, and there's, I'm sure there's more. These are just some that I came up with. And I, I don't like this one because it doesn't really satisfy. But it's true. God's ways are far above our ways. Um, we won't understand what, what his purposes are. But if we trust and we believe in him, that's enough. The second thing I, I struggle with is what's the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer? Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That is the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer. There have been times when I have had something on my heart or on my mind and something to pray about and I, I did not know how to pray. I didn't know what... I knew what I wanted but I didn't know if that's what God wanted and I, I wasn't even sure I knew what I wanted. I just knew I, the situation was not right. And... I'm confident and I'm resting in this promise that the Holy Spirit could translate my muddled thoughts before the Father and he could say, this is what he meant. This is what his heart was saying because he didn't know how to say it. And then thirdly, how long should we be persistent? I said we, It's clear by these parables we need to be persistent in prayer. We need to keep, keep praying. Keep praying and keep praying for something. How long do we keep praying? First of all, I would say stop praying if you discover it's not the right thing that you're praying for. And secondly, pray until the door is closed. Keep praying until the door is closed. I was talking to a friend this week, asked him this question, how long do we keep praying? And he gave the example of an acquaintance he knew that was not right with the Lord and he prayed, their church prayed and prayed and prayed for years for this man and he was killed in a car accident and well, so they stopped. The door was closed. He said, that's, that's how long you pray for something. And I think he's right. Pray until the door is closed. So I'll leave you with these thoughts. Abide in Christ so that when you pray, you will not only bring your needs to Him, but you'll be able to hear from Him. It might be words of correction, it might be words of comfort, but abide in Christ, allow His words to abide in you. There is power in prayer when we pray in the name of Jesus and according to His will. And lastly, there is power in persistence in prayer. God loves to hear from His people. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you again today. We thank you that our, you are our, our good Heavenly Father. We thank you that you love to hear from us. I pray that you'll be with us as we consider prayer and how we speak to you and, and hear, the, hear you speak to us. Give us disciplined hearts and disciplined lives to remove 
distractions and to give prayer its proper place in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.